Hello and welcome to the JNN podcast. My name is Jeanette. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about movies, TV shows, and anything in between. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. And if you're coming back, welcome back. Hope you're doing well. Before I get into any details, I would like to welcome my guest, Oscar Martinez. Hi. Hi, Jeanette. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, no problem. He's a freelance cinematographer, and we actually worked on like a film for like a job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure yeah. we did that more than once. Yeah. But uh, you directed something that I shot. Yes. Uh, so we did have that deeper, <laughs> deeper working relationship. Yeah. I mean, he's a really great cinematographer. Highly recommend. Sorry if I gave you any headaches. Um, <laughs> I don't no. I only apologize. No, no. Like, okay. actually, like, that set was pretty, like, smooth. I think the other set that I work with Griffin, it was a little bit a challenge with the mm -hmm. uh, creator. But, you know, right. it is what it is. Yeah. And I think I had a really good crew, too, that, you know, was really good at being quick and and had good ideas with lighting too so oh yeah i think we had a good crew also that helped so yeah pretty cool um for this new segment and since oscar is a cinematographer i was thinking that we were going to focus more on the cinematography of this movie that we're going to talk about and our thoughts on the shots yeah so today we're going to be talking about the 2012 neo-noir crime film, Killing Them Softly. It was written and directed by Andrew Dominic with Greg Frazier as the cinematographer. The logline is after three small-time crooks rob a mob-protected illegal gambling operation, the mob send in two hitmen, Jackie and Mickey, to deal with the perpetrators. I received information from Wikipedia, Collider, Shots on What, I guess is a blog, and IMDb. So in terms of the cast, you have Brad Pitt as Jackie Coogan. He was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Ocean's Eleven series, and Inglorious Bastards. James Gandolfini plays Mickey. He was in The Sopranos. Um, he was also in True Romance and Enough Said. Then you have Richard Jenkins as the driver. He was in The Shape of Water, The Cabin in the Woods, and Eat, Pray, Love. Next, we have Scoot McNary as Frankie. He was in Argo, Gone Girl, and Narcos, uh, Mexico. It's like a Netflix TV off-spin of Narcos. Then you have Ben Mendelsohn as Russell. He was in Rogue One, Animal Kingdom, the 2010 Australian film, and this TV show named The Outsider. And then finally, you have Ray Liotta as Marky Trotman. Of course, he was in Goodfellas. He was also in Identity and an upcoming Sopranos prequel film called The Many Saints of Newark. I have to say, I'm, uh, I'm uh, really realizing how much of a Brad Pitt fan I am. Every time I saw a movie and everyone like, 
Like I knew everyone loved Brad Pitt, but I didn't really see it until I saw a movie. And then by the end of the movie, I'm always like, man, I want to be like Brad Pitt. So <laughs> I feel like I'm starting to become a big fan. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I wasn't attracted to him, so I <laughs> never had like a crush on him. But I think he does a really great job as like a producer because he, he actually produced this film and his production company is Plan B. Uh, so he also did 12 Years a Slave and wow, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think he's like one of the few actors who's also got an Oscar for producing. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think what helped in this movie is uh, I liked his character the, the most. Like, I feel like I was unsure about the movie and like where it was going or anything. But as soon as Brad Pitt started be, play, playing a bigger role, I was like, okay, I'm with this movie now. Like, oh yeah. Like, I don't know. Something, even though he's pretty mysterious and not a lot is known about him, I still feel like he's able to, to be charming. Oh yeah. He has like that type of ironic, good acting, you know? Cause you would <laughs> think that he would be bad as an actor. <laughs> I mean, I, I have felt that, you know, I have, that's, that was what I thought before, but he's good. I think he's a good actor for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so in terms of development, this film is based on a 1974 novel called Coogan's Trade, uh, written by George V. Higgins. And apparently it was like a really famous novelist and author during the seventies. So despite taking place in Boston, most of the film was shot in New Orleans and director Andrew Dominic updated the setting of the story to occur during the 2008 election. And according to this actor named Garrett Dillahunt, the film's first cut was two and a half hours long. And I guess like he was in one of the scenes that they cut at the end. Salty. Mm-hmm. Oh. This film is one of the 22 films to receive an F score in Cinema Score, which I, I could a- agree. Yeah, I I did see it was uh, yeah I saw that this movie had pretty mixed reviews and I can yeah I can see why for sure. Yeah, I think well most of the people felt that the film was underwhelming, which I can understand. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like film wise, this was the first feature to use Kodak's 500T5230 film stock. So like, what does that mean? I'm not too sure actually. I think what's like the new thing about it there would be like the 5230 number at the end. It must be like some sort of like, just, just the way the film behaves. I think usually that just characterizes like the the specific like color capture of like a film okay and like contrast but yeah i've only shot on film once i shot on 16 and when i think of that now then i'm like man shooting this movie must have been like quite challenging too but i just oh yeah i'm so used to digital that i find film probably more challenging than people who shoot film find it but I definitely recognize like what it takes to get it done and and uh, it's a lot so oh yeah yeah like I mean for me like I'm like yeah these are just like numbers 
for sure. I mean, 500 is like the ASA, right? Okay. And T is for tungsten. So it's like a tungsten stock because you had either daylight or tungsten uh, white balance. Oh, okay. So if you were like, it was harder to like mix color temperature back in the day because then you would have to like, you know, if you shot a scene with daylight, then something else with tungsten, like you would have to switch mags more often, or I guess you would have anyways, but it just seems tougher to me just doing <laughs> digital, you know, but yeah, but still, I mean, the, the image always looks way crazy cool. So, oh yeah. The film was also shot both on film and digital uh, using Pan Ari 235 camera, Panavision Panaflex Millennium XL camera, and Panavision HS50 50 millimeter T1.1 lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, I saw later, I was reading that Greg Frazier like really, really likes shooting on film, but I think what it was another movie, uh, Lion, that came out more recently where... Yeah. He, he kind of like film was the first choice, but it didn't work out and they ended up doing digital, but it, it like let them do so much more. So I can tell this guy's a big film guy who likes doing film for sure. Oh, yeah. And then like I did look into Gray Frazier and his bio. Uh, mm. So he was born in Australia uh, with a desire to pursue photography. So it makes sense. And when I mean photography, I mean film photography like back in the day. (laughs) Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. However, he felt that when he was trying to pursue as a photographer, he felt that it was a little too isolated for him and wanted to work in a field that was more like collaborative. This causes him to switch careers and go to cinematography. And he says that he really likes working in the film industry because he likes to kind of go off ideas with everyone. And he says it for like everyone from like the grip to even the director. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Best working environments for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. His first work was a short film called Jew Boy uh, with his breakthrough moment shooting the 2010 American remake, Let Me In. Uh, and then since Killing Them Softly, he's went on to shoot Rogue One, Foxcatcher, and three episodes of The Mandalorian and Vice. He was nominated for an Oscar in cinematography, and he has two upcoming movies coming up, Dune and Batman, or The Batman. Yeah, I'm really stoked for those. I I started reading Dune, but ever since they delayed the movie i stopped reading the book for some reason but i'm excited for that and also for the batman i guess yeah i mean i'm excited for the batman because i really like batman in terms of like comic book Mm. stories i wasn't a big fan of marvel comics i was more into dc comics that's why i like batman i don't Mm. like ben affleck so i just skipped that part Uh (laughs) yeah that's fine i mean I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of that version of of the DC stuff. So yeah, but the way it looks, and also the way that Greg Fraser was uh, talking in an interview, it it sounds like it's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. So fingers crossed. Yeah, same. Uh, so in terms of the summary, there's not a lot 
in terms of like a story. So it'll be a bit short. Uh, so during both the Great Recession and the 2008 presidential election, Johnny, nicknamed Squirrel Amado, plans to rob a mafia poker game. Uh, he enlists Frankie, a former business associate, and Russell, a heroin addict Australian who steals purebred dogs for money. They decide to target a game run by Marky Trackman, who is known to have previously orchestrated an inside job by paying two men to rob his illegal poker game. Squirrel believes that the mafia will kill Marky for the robbery rather than investigate further. Despite being amateurs, Frankie and Russell manage to perform the robbery and take off with the money. And a few days later, Mafioso, named the driver, hires hitman Jackie Coogan to find and kill the people who were part of the robbery. During their conversation in the driver's car, Jackie states that Marky needs to be killed because he looks guilty despite having no involvement with the recent heist. And he also wants to use Marky's death as an example to discourage further robberies. Meanwhile, Russell travels to Florida to sell the dogs he has. While there, he inadvertently informs a man named Kenny Gill of his involvement with the heist. Kenny then informs Jackie, who deduces that Russell, Frankie, and Squirrel were the perpetrators. He makes Kenny drive him next to Marky's car one night, and while Kenny slows the car down, Jackie shoots and kills Marky before Marky can escape or defend himself. And apparently Jackie calls this tactic killing them softly, so hence the title. Jackie brings in another hitman, Mickey Fallon, to kill Squirrel. Mickey decides to postpone the hit on Squirrel as he indulges in alcohol and escorts in his hotel room. When Jackie talks to him, Mickey reveals that he has violated his parole and doesn't seem to either care nor comprehend the consequences. Knowing that Mickey has lost his nerve and the ability to do his job, Jackie decides to carry out the hit on Squirrel himself. He also tells the driver to arrange Mickey's arrest before the job is done. Uh, Russell comes back from his trip only to be arrested on drug possessions and deported back to Australia. Jackie confronts Frankie and convinces him to trade Squirrel's whereabouts for his life. He then has Frankie drive him to Squirrel's apartment complex where he shoots and kills Squirrel with a shotgun. Uh, Jackie comes back to Frankie's car and orders him to drive to his car several hours away. However, Frankie becomes very nervous and begins speeding, causing Jackie to take over. And once they arrive at the parking garage, Jackie shoots Frankie in the head without warning and wipes down any fingerprints he might have left behind. On the night of the presidential election, Jackie meets the driver at a bar to collect his fee for the three hits. While Obama makes his victory speech, Jackie argues that the driver 
only paid him 10K per hit instead of 15K they previously agreed on. The driver argues that times are tough and the fee is adjusted with the recession. However, Jackie goes on the speech saying that I'm living in America and in America, you're on your own. America is not a country. It's just a business. Now fucking pay me. And that's the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, cut to black. Yeah. Pretty, pretty savage speech at the end. Oh, yeah, that was like a really good speech because, I mean, it, it was a longer speech because he like talks about Obama and what he was saying in his victory speech. Mm-hmm. And then he talks a little bit about Thomas Jefferson and his children. And then it goes on to this last few sentences. So, yeah. Yeah. What are your favorite shots of the movie? I really liked Marky's death. I really liked the slow motion of it i don't know it's just really interesting because like it starts off like at a normal pace and then i think it's just the way that's edited because it replays certain shots like the bullets going through marky again and again and then he gets hit by another car and then it kind of goes a little bit to normal speed and then he gets hit by another car again in slow motion and then I think it's the same with like the rain. Like I think all of that, it was a really good shot. Yeah, that one that one's very memorable still. I I guess uh I realized after I asked you the question, like what were your thoughts on the movie in general before we talk about our favorite shots, I guess. I just curious what you thought, because I feel like I had a hard time like deciding whether I liked it or not. And I feel like I didn't so much at the beginning, but then later on I did and I think mainly it was the characters because uh, like you said, there's not like a whole ton of story. Yeah. But I think on the whole, I have positive feelings about it. The more I think about it. I mean, for me, I, at first I, I thought that like my computer was broken because in the beginning you have a shot of someone walking out of this like hallway. Right. And then it's just like, it cuts to like this loud song and then like a loud speech of Obama and then another like soft, it was just weird. And I felt like my computer was broken. So I had to like check that was like, it's my computer broken. (laughs) Did I download a, a like bad, like (laughs) file? (laughs) I felt that too. Cause the credits were also, completely silent for me and then the music started right away yeah um i actually wanted to say something about that too because like i felt like one of the things that i missed missed the mark for me at the start was the political parallels because i felt like they started off really early with that but it was like too early to be able to tell what the parallel was for me like like, I, I just didn't get it at first. After, I think I got it more, which became more like that there's, like, this mentality of, like, violence and just everyone on their own that the U.S. and, and the characters share. So it's, like, that's the parallel for me. But at, at first, I didn't get it because it was, like, too early, I feel like, to tell. And I felt a little bit on the nose. At the yeah. Start. But I feel like other movies do that well, like, Alfonso Cuaron does that a lot in his movies, like 
tu mamá también. Mm-hmm. Um, it had some of that. But there it, it worked better because it felt like the characters were like with that and like their lives were a reflection of that versus here it was like more independent at the start. But. Yeah, I agree too. I kind of felt like that at first it felt like that, oh, like this is going to be something political. But then it almost like they just kind of had it in like the back burner. And yeah. then when, whenever you would like listen in on Jackie, like talking to either like the driver or to Mickey and they would be like, oh, like, you know, the recession is happening. Like, you know, I got to like get on with life or something like that. That that's kind of when like it started becoming like a political movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like towards the end like it was like oh yeah this is like literally about like you know American capitalism yeah but I did like how they would like filter in like speeches from George Bush where he was like oh like everything's fine we're going to like get back on our feet in a bit and because it it kind of like foreshadowed that it's like well you kind of have to like pick yourself up like you can't rely on like the government for help type of thing yeah because i think even like the scene where jackie is realizing that uh mickey is not going to help him with the hits Mm -hmm. that he's he's like well i gotta do it on my own type of thing and i think it kind of just represented like what was happening during the 2008 and like the financial crisis and everything right at first i was like what's going on but then as like the movie kept going i'm like okay like i kind of get it and i think overall in my opinion i think it's i felt like it's it's type of film where it's not really an art house film but it's not an indie film and it's not even like kind of like a like a kind of weird blockbuster like john wick before it became into a franchise type of thing like i i kind of felt like it was just there like it was just a film it's very you know? true uh because because i started watching it and my girlfriend julia was there too and she like told me after she only saw the beginning so she's not like she didn't see all of it but she said like it kind of felt like a weird b movie and i was like well yeah i kind of feel that like i don't really know like it's weird because like the budget seemed like they could afford to do a lot of crazy stuff, but yeah, like, the movie was more of a muted, like holding back type of approach. Or I don't know. I that's another thing about the cinematography. I felt like the more I tried to try to focus on it, the less I enjoyed the movie. In the sense that I, I don't know. Maybe it's my personal taste. Like. I feel like this movie was very mature and it's lighting and very subtle and naturalistic. So, you know, I was, I was maybe, maybe the movie was overly hyped because I, I kept hearing that it was like one of the, like, I guess I conceived of it as like a huge, like cinematog- cinematog- cinematographic achievement or something. Yeah. But it, it's more so that like the storytelling like fits the narrative, I think. And like, you know, it's more so of a, a well-executed movie, I feel, than, like, something crazy, um, like, has never been seen before. Yeah. And so I think I was just, like, having too high of an expectation and 
the less I started to focus on it, the more I enjoyed the movie too. So yeah, I, I think it was it was still a good a good looking movie. I mean, you know, there's a shooting on film and those situations. Like I think they got really good looking stuff and very consistent, and it felt deliberate in the sense that like the tones, it felt like almost Renaissance painting. Like I don't know, like very carved out like darks and lights um in some interiors i felt yeah like the scene where they get high as fuck (laughs) that that scene like there's like just beaming sunlight through a window on the dude's face yeah most of the space is dark it's really nice yeah i like that scene too i think it's i think it might have been like with like the help of like the editor I think like both the editor and the cinematography did well to make certain scenes, especially like Mark Eustace and then like the drug bender that Frankie and Russell were doing mm-hmm. because it, it's just like weird. It, it almost felt like a little bit experimental that they're like, oh, let's use these scenes as like experiment and mm-hmm. then just do what we want to do type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of missed the point yeah it it did feel kind of isolated to me is what i was basically trying to say yeah i agree i kind of felt like that it's like they have these like you know good shots but it's like awkwardly there you Mm -hmm. know where it's like this is kind of more like a play in a film but yet they have all these like shots or the way that they edit certain scenes it could be like because like they are trying to experiment some scenes but yet they didn't make sure that it was cohesive with (laughs) the film i mean not saying that like it was a bad film i still liked it i think like if you want to watch it it's it's like you had to like lower your expectations Mm -hmm. and just kind of see it as like an experiment than like a certain genre of a film that makes sense I don't think I get the movie all the way and partly maybe it's that I don't really like something we don't really see all the time in terms of like what it is. Yeah. I see that you also signaled the Mickey and Jackie at the bar scene as a Yeah. Yeah, I I actually like that and it was like the scene um where we are introduced yeah. with Mickey. Yeah. And he's like ordering a drink, but then he takes Jackie's drink. I like the way that it was lit because it's weird fluorescent. Like it's like, it looks fluorescent, but then it looks too warm to be a fluorescent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it kind of matches with like the fluorescent like lights in other scenes. Cause there was a lot of fluorescent-esque yeah. lights in sure. my opinion. I agree. So I think it was like really cool that they made it into like a like a still warm environment. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also the same thing with like the fashion. Like I, I like Jackie, uh, sorry, I like Mickey's sunglasses that he had. And then <laughs> I like I also like the how dark Mickey's jacket was. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a lot of browns and then like some blacks. And like for the blacks, it looked like a true black, you know? Yeah. But yeah. 
Yo, yeah, definitely. I feel like those are like one of the examples of like really, really managed like color palette, you know, where they really reined in all those factors and like it's all intentional with like the lighting, the color of those lights and their wardrobe. Like it's a very specific vibe that they're sending out. And uh, yeah, a lot of practicals in those shots. Those were really nice. And uh, I, I mean, honestly, that's, I feel like that's the turning, turning point where I started to enjoy the movie more too. Like I, I felt like the criticisms of the movie were more clear starting at that point. Or I guess yeah. they always were kind of like very critical of like human behaviors, certain human behaviors and showing the negative side of things. But specifically there, I felt like it was clear to hear like two guys, right. Having like locker room talk almost and like just kind of like that culture and like, you know, what could be wrong with that too. I, that became clear to me as well. And like what the mindset of is of these like mobsters and like, and it's like interesting because they never really mention who Jackie's boss is, you know, like it's always in connection to the driver or to Mickey, but they never really go in depth of like who, who like runs this mafia, you know? Right. Yeah. It's very like uh, mysterious. What about you? What are your favorite shots? I feel like I remember specific moments in the movie more like as like a whole rather than specific shots i remember when they beat up um marky just because i remember the lighting seemed it was like very frontal lighting but it was still tastefully done mm-hmm. so that that stood out to me as i don't know because it, it something about those images like it really made them stand out against like the really dark background and for some reason, I just watch out for stuff that like unexplainably sticks and I try to understand why, but I don't have that one yet, but I remember that one. Um, other than that, there's there's shots of uh, like when they pull up to kill Johnny. Uh, oh, yeah. Squirrel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they uh, there's like a wide of. In, at night of the car pulling up and then parking like the bottom left of frame and it's like all really dark except that the car has like a nice rim like a backlight on it mm-hmm. from the street light that shot was really cool too um i think um like this dp i've i've never seen anything from greg frazier and i felt like it was time and you know i think what he does with shadows is really nice and contrast i feel like um He's got a really good taste for, for contrast, for sure. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I, I saw Foxcatcher like a few years ago, and it's really good. I think you will like Foxcatcher because it's like very almost like a documentary vibe. I think it also connects with like the fluorescent lights that are used in this film because there's a lot of fluorescent lights in Foxcatcher. So I guess like he, he just really likes that kind of like raw lighting in terms of, you know, uh, yeah. office lights. Definitely. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like it, like, I don't know. I just like really like the kind of mysterious it is because like in the film, like it kind of goes 
into this like mystery of like this particular guy who's like an heiress of like this like dupont i think like mm-hmm. plants or and he's this millionaire that is just funding the usa wrestling team and it's just kind of goes into like you know what's so mysterious about this guy and i think the cinematography really matches with that you know weird and kind of it like an iffy vibe because it's like you want to be in the scene but it kind of feels like it's not welcome you know what i mean like it's like a weird mm-hmm. feeling definitely and, yeah yeah i feel like this movie had a lot of opportunities to be like have menacing images and stuff like that i think they they definitely had them I'm trying to think what else uh, visually stood out to me what did you think when jackie shoots frankie at the end oh like <laughs> It was kind of abrupt. Like I didn't yeah. expect that would happen. Um, yeah. Because I think like he was like asking him, oh, like, oh, you know what to do, right? And then Frank was like, oh, yeah, I need to do this. I need to do that. And then he kills him. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess he he's not going to do that. <laughs> I I was faked out for sure. I, I was, you know, the movie was setting up that way. It came out of nowhere. Yeah. I was trying to compare like all the deaths with each other because like, you know, Marky's death was definitely very dramatic and like very built up, and mm-hmm. in a way, so was uh, Johnny's, aka Squirrels. Yeah. Death. You know, it was very built up to emotionally, and then this one was just very abrupt and out of nowhere. I'm trying to make the connection, and maybe I'm reaching, but I feel like uh, it's trying to be like show like who all the victims are of the system and like how it's kind of unfair because arguably the last guy who got the abrupt killing I mean he still committed the crime but arguably he was the most well-meaning one of all of them and they all still got like the same level of punishment in a way you know yeah I think um in terms like Mark Marquis does I kind of feel like that he had to make sure that everyone knew like not to you know do what marky did in the past mm-hmm. so i can understand that like his death was like more like yeah this needs to be like big and have like a big impact and then i think with like squirrel like because he he like knew what the mafia was doing but because he wasn't in the mafia mm-hmm. that there was no point in like making a big deal about his death or like you know making a dramatic um event of his death and then i think with frankie it's like yeah like he was promised to like find squirrel's whereabouts in order for to save his life and i think when he gets abruptly killed it kind of shows that even though like people may make promises to people that they can just like take it away you know be like oh i didn't mean it and then yeah it's like the nature of the beast and you know how yeah market behavioralism can be or (laughs) yeah i mean like if we're connecting to like the great recession or the economic crisis i think it's kind of like frankie is like an average joe like blue collar worker who got laid off and then Jackie is like 
not the government, but like just politicians that promise that, oh, we'll help you. But instead they help like banks, like the big guys. And that's yeah. like the mafia. Yeah. I see that now. I, I, it was more of a miss at first, but now I really see it. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like execution maybe wasn't the best, but the ideas are there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like, I, I would still recommend, like, watching this film. I think, like, you may just have to have, like, lower expectations of the film and to maybe watch it more than once. I think if you watch it more than once, it may be, it may be understood. And then if you read, like, the backstory and kind of, like, think of it like a play, like a weird play that's, like, a film. I think, like, that's when you're, like, okay, I get this. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah, it's it's rated very low, you know, on, on critics. It's a misunderstood film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what else any last, like, thoughts or... Yeah, let me see. I had some notes. I think I hit everything. Okay. Yeah. Overall, Brad Pitt saved the movie. Yes. <laughs> Ironically. <laughs> he did. I did want to ask, because you said that, um, now that I remember that, you know, Brad Pitt's kind of like serving, still serving the system. And it's like, he almost goes out of his way to kind of like, be like independent right or like his own man almost like he's he doesn't like to be close by when he's killing people he likes to keep his distance uh and all this stuff but he's still like he's still not not like fully autonomous independent you know he's still a part of the system himself yeah he's almost like a part of the thing that he hates but then again maybe he does know that and maybe that's why he's so fucking miserable (laughs) (laughs) I can understand that he wants to kill the people that he need to kill like quickly or like unexpectedly because I think like he doesn't want them to like have a chance to fight back or run away Mm -hmm. because he knows that if they do like he may get killed or that by them or he may get killed by another hitman because he didn't do his job type of thing. Mm And I really like that in the end, like he's complaining about the feed that they're giving him. And he, and then the guy's like, oh, well, you know, it's tough times. And I was like, dude, you, you work in the mafia. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you're not at the whim of the, it's like, it's, yeah, it's ironic because it's like mob markets are like tied to real world. Yeah. Like the real world market is the mob market. In a way, you know. Yeah. So, fair criticisms. Yes. That is it for this episode. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can follow us at J A N D M underscore podcasts. And if you have any ideas, suggestions, uh, you can email us at J A N D M podcasts at gmail.com. Uh, Oscar, do you have any plugins? <laughs> I have a website. My website is my name, Oscar Martinez, O-S-C-A-R-M-A-R-T-I-N-E-Z-D-P.com with uh, my cinematography stuff. So, yeah. Do you want to like plug in like any Instagram or 
social uh, media? Sure, yeah. I, my Instagram is OJESS15, OJS15. And you can find my all my other accounts through there too. So cool. I only have one other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for uh, participating. Hopefully, like, this could be like a segment we can keep going on maybe to other cinematographers. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. I'd be super dope. Cool. Uh, thank you again for listening and hope you come back next week. Bye.